Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Was that not cool, just seeing what, what happened in Houston? I mean, was that not just the neatest thing? Ohio, let's go. I thought that was, that was so cool. It's just such, it's so, such an honor to be a part of that. Um, well, I want to, um, I'm, it's my job today, we're going to continue a series um, called um, Every. And so um, Aaron had started the last couple of weeks in, in November, um, focusing on every table. And uh, that was all about the importance of us coming together, gathering together, particularly around a table, setting aside our differences and saying, we love each other. We, we just want to break bread together. There's something about that, that as we come together and do that, that we grow together. The, um, the series is going to continue today. I'm going to get into uh, every house. And then uh, next month, uh, January, it's going to be every church, and then February be every community. So we're going to continue with this theme for the next couple of months. And um, also, I don't know if you've heard, um, since I'm kicking off every house, I also, you might have heard this, you might have not, but Christmas is coming. Did you guys hear about that? They've been giving us warnings since October, but <clears throat> it's on its way. And so since this is December here, um, I was wanting to tie in every house to um, the Christmas theme as well. And so uh, Aaron had asked me to, to bring in something about John the Baptist, and um, since it's the first week leading up to Christmas. Um, and so I had the unenviable event to try, to try to figure out how to tie every house with John the Baptist and a Christmas theme. But I think I got somewhere with it. Um, Christmas... Um, if, you know, all about the, the birth of Jesus and as Jesus is coming. If you look at the Gospels, there's, there's a specific theme. It's kind of interesting. Now, the Gospel of Matthew um, starts off with a genealogy, which basically shows Jesus' kingship. Jesus is in the line to, to be king. Um, but also, um, if you look at the other three Gospels, they all have, at least toward the beginning, this story about John the Baptist and I found it interesting as I looked at that, that, that it was important enough that, that God wanted to include in at least three of the four Gospels this story of John the Baptist. Instead of just diving right into the story of Jesus, he wanted to make sure that there was this foundation laid of John the Baptist. And so um, I had to ask myself the question, why? Why was it important to have John the Baptist here? Why don't we just dive in? Well, for me to get to, to that, I need to explain um, a, a couple of other ideas first. So what I want to talk about um, to kind of lay a foundation here, and don't worry, this will make sense as, as I go, but um, you ever hear of the word ecosystem? You guys understand, if, if you're at least in fourth grade and you're still in school, you probably heard it recently. If not, it's probably been a while, but um, let, me tell, let me give you a definition of what an ecosystem is. If you look on uh, dictionary.com, uh, this is what it says. A system or a group 
of interconnected elements formed by the interaction of a community of organisms with their environment. Huh? Uh, uh, here's what Wikipedia says, which is obviously the most reliable source. An ecosystem is a community of living organisms in conjunction with the non-living components of their environment, things like air, water, and mineral soil interacting as a system. That doesn't help me much either. Let me give you the Josh Haas definition. An ecosystem is a group of living things working together to maintain a particular environment. Okay? So that, that ecosystem, an ecosystem can be a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a group of, of living things that are working together to perpetuate in a certain specific direction. I have a friend that works um, for the Five Rivers Metro Parks. And the Five Rivers Metro Parks is an actual, there are all kinds of ecosystems going on in there. And they interact together and, and pretty much what happens is you can introduce certain things into it, but if they're not adaptive to that ecosystem, it might affect it for a little bit, but in the end, it'll kind of just keep going in the same direction. Let me give you an example of that. Um, a couple of years ago, at least, and this may not be the only time it's happened, but somebody had a pet alligator, and they decided to release it in the, in the lake at the Metro Parks because it got too big for their house, I guess, or something. And so you can imagine um, people are fishing at the Metro Parks, and all of a sudden, in Ohio, an alligator swims up. And, it makes you a little nervous. And um, it really did affect the environment around it. Now, they had to go in because it was an immediately urgent. They actually, I believe, drained one of, the, one of the lakes to get the thing out of there. But if they had left it there, if they had left an alligator in the metro park, it, wouldn't, it would affect it temporarily. But eventually, about this time of year, that alligator is going to become an alligator sickle. It's not going to survive because it's not adaptive to the ecosystem that it's in. So eventually it might come against the current for a little bit, but eventually it's just going to kind of go back into the flow and it's just going to become a nice meal for some raccoons or something as the carcass is laying there. Now there are certain things that um, if you introduce them to the ecosystem, they are ready to adapt and they can be good or bad things too. You ever hear of honeysuckle? Honeysuckle's been introduced to the, to the environment, and honeysuckle actually is kind of taking over in the metro parks. It's actually creating a problem. And so um, if, it's, if it's ready to get into it, it's fine. But, but let me uh, give a different example. Because um, <clears throat> for those of you who aren't into going outside, this one might be an easier one for you to understand. <clears throat> if you... Um, Imagine if you boil a pot of water on the stove and um, you get it nice and hot and it's bubbling, bubbling over and you take that pot of water and you put it into the freezer. For a little bit of time, that pot of water is going to affect the freezer. You may see things start to thaw out in that freezer. But eventually, over time, because that freezer has an ecosystem that will maintain what's going on and the pot of water does not, Eventually, you're just going to have a pot of frozen ice if you wait long enough in there. I think it's often like what we do. A lot of times, we try to, to change the environment around us. And um, if we expect 
to come to church on a Sunday and boil our pot of water, but we go home into the freezer, we'll feel it bubbling over. But then when we get home, if we don't have a good ecosystem in our, in our home, then um, we're going to have that frozen pot of water again. And so we come back to church on Sunday and try to get it boiling again. We get it boiling again finally. But then we go back home into a bad ecosystem and it just keeps freezing over and over again. What needs to happen, what we want to come in, is we need to change that ecosystem so that when the pot of water boils, it's just going to perpetuate. We're just moving it from one oven one, or one stovetop to another stovetop, and it just keeps it going, keeps it going. I, I've, have you ever had an experience of being in a bad ecosystem? I think we all have at some point. You ever work somewhere that you know is just, this is not healthy, this is not a good place. And unfortunately, many times, sometimes our, our homes can be that way. Those are things that we want to heal. But I used to work in a children's home. And not every children's home is like this. But this was not a healthy system that we were in. One of the things that we were doing um, is we would have ki people who were in charge that didn't have any kind of mental health understanding. They just had a business understanding. And so they would come in with ideas about how to um, fill more beds, but not really thinking what's going to be healthiest for the kids. Because that just wasn't their training. It, it wasn't their fault because they didn't know that. They just didn't know that. So we would have kids with mental health issues um, mixed with kids with criminal backgrounds and Department of Corrections issues. And so the kids with mental health issues would go in and they would learn things that they didn't know before they came there. And the ecosystem kind of took over and it actually was an unhealthy ecosystem. And so we were trying to bring them into health, but it actually, it, for many of them, it didn't help. And you add on top of that that we had um, many of our house parents, um, their salaries were competing with McDonald's. And so they were, they were coming in basically because this is just the job they could find. They weren't necessarily passionate about helping youth. They just needed a job, and that's what they decided to do. And I would go in there in the morning and I'm thinking, God, just use me to change this place. Just use me. I, I just want to be something. And then the ecosystem would kind of set in, and my, my pot would start to cool, and, it, and the bubbling would go down. And I'd be, by the end of the day, I'd be saying, God, just take me now. Rescue me. Because the ecosystem wasn't, wasn't ready to maintain anything that I was bringing in. I didn't know how to adapt and change the ecosystem. Um, so what's this have to do with every house? Every house in itself is its own ecosystem. Things that we have going on in our homes, every house has a certain direction that we're moving in. Okay? Now, we don't always recognize that. We don't always know that. But it is true because what, what we think is the house we live in is the normal house. And everybody else's house is the weird house. Okay? So you go over to their house and you're like, oh, they do that? That's weird. You, your eyes are really open to this when you marry somebody. Because then you recognize, oh, they put ketchup on tacos. That is so strange. And then a couple of years later, you find yourself doing it, and it's part of your ecosystem. And it's, it's, that's how it works. So we, we all have, every house is an environment that is set up to perpetuate itself in a certain direction, to perpetuate in a certain way. Now, Angie and I set some things up um, at the beginning of our marriage to kind of perpetuate in a certain direction. Um, she was, Angie was just talking this morning about finances. She loves to talk about money. She even loves to talk about not spending money. I mean, she loves money so much. So 
So when we started our marriage, two of the things that we decided to do is we weren't going to take any debt other than our home. We weren't going to take on any more debt. And we were always going to tithe. And so as we did that, we, we learned to live within our means. And we started an ecosystem that was flowing in a certain direction. Okay? And so that when recently Grace, um, our oldest daughter, had to get braces, which is no small expense, it was, you know, we could feel it when it came in, but our ecosystem just kind of absorbed it and we kept going in the same direction that we were going from the start. Um, so what I want to think about today, what I want to look at is, I want to look at how these kinds of things in, in every house, how we can establish good ecosystems. And the role that John the Baptist played in setting up an ecosystem that was ready to receive what Jesus was going to bring. So let me start with um, Luke chapter 1, and we'll start with verses 5 through 7. This is the, the, the beginning of the story of John the Baptist. I'm reading from the New American Standard. I believe what's on the screen is the American Standard, so pardon me if there's a little bit of difference in, in what I'm reading. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Okay, I want to point out something. It all starts with a house. It wasn't just random people. It was two people together who were pursuing God and, and had this desire for a child. It started with an ecosystem. They had something good going, but they also had a desire in their hearts that, that hadn't been met yet. So they were actually pursuing following the Lord. They were fertile ground for what God was about to do. So when she got pregnant, it was like, oh my goodness, I'm this old and pregnant. They had fertile ground. They were ready. Can you imagine, you know, it says they were advanced in years, you know, and whenever I hear a story in the Bible of, a, of an older couple having uh, a baby, I don't, it doesn't shock me as much about the couple having the baby as it does the couple having a toddler and being advanced in years. I mean, just think about what they were getting into. But they were fertile ground that they were getting ready to go into this. And so what my question is, um, I want you to think about what kind of atmosphere, what kind of ecosystem is in your home? If God is going to introduce something, is it going to perpetuate it in the home or is it going to freeze? If God starts, starts putting a, a pot of boiling water into your home, he gives you some kind of blessing, do you have an ecosystem that's going to maintain that blessing or do you have an ecosystem that's going to basically, it'll be nice for a little bit, but it'll absorb it and pretty soon you'll spend all the money that you had that that, that blessing God just poured out onto you. On the other side, if a problem comes in, do you have an ecosystem that's going to just perpetuate that problem? Well, here's another problem to heap on top of that. Or do you have an ecosystem in your home that says, okay, this problem we're going to have to adjust for a little bit, but in, in time we'll just kind of keep flowing in the direction that God had us to be going in. Um, what is your house ripe for? You know, we, we can look at examples um, all the time. The most famous one is 
unhealthy environments that get blessings are the, the lottery winners. You guys know the statistics about that. Somebody wins the lottery, and I, I, I don't know the odds, but a, a huge percentage of them end up bankrupt. Um, there was a, I used to use this, this example all the time um, in teachings I do. There's a, a guy named Ted Rodriguez. They did an Oprah Winfrey special on him, and he was a guy who lived uh, dumpster to dumpster. He was homeless. And they said, they said you know, what would happen um, if, I believe it was $200,000, but what would happen if you give a homeless man $200,000? And so they found a dumpster that he normally frequented, and they put a briefcase with $200,000 in it, and, and they film him, and, they, and he thinks they're just doing a documentary on being homeless. So they film him what it's like to go into the dumpster. And so he, he jumps in the dumpster, and he finds a briefcase. like, oh, what did I find? He opens it up, and it's like this miracle. He's got this $200,000. But then they follow him after that, and he like, goes into this manic state. And he, just, he, he finds a girlfriend all of a sudden, because he never had a girlfriend. But now that he's got money, he has a girlfriend. And he just starts spending on, on stuff and hotels and giving people money that he knows. And it's like within a month or two, he spent it all. It was all gone. Because he didn't have an ecosystem that could handle a blessing like that. It went against the grain of what he, what he had. And so he thought that if he'd get one blessing, that it would just create a new ecosystem. But we need to have the new ecosystem. Every home needs to start with a, with a healthy ecosystem to perpetuate whatever God might want to do in it. Let's look at, um, I want to read the rest of the story of, of John the Baptist because I want you to hear uh, the bulk of, of what happened because it is getting to be Christmas time. But then um, I'm going to break off one piece of that that I want to specifically focus on. So this is Luke chapter 1. We're going to move on to verses 8 through 24. <clears throat> now it happened that while he was performing, and again this is Zacharias, while he was performing his priestly service before God, in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. Now, I just want to say... This is a very common reaction to seeing an angel. Um, I had an experience once in my life where I don't know if it was God or an angel, but it was some kind of a supernatural voice I heard. I was laying in bed kind of in that twilight sleep time where you're not awake and you're not asleep, and I just heard a voice say to me, Hey, Josh. Now, I felt different than I would have felt if it was an intruder. If it was an intruder, I would have been scared, but I would have been scared like, ready, do I need to, to run or fight? Okay? This was totally different. I heard this voice, and I wanted to cover up with the covers and hide. It was just too awesome for me. And so I'm laying there in bed, just scared to death, not knowing what to do. And finally, I, I think, oh, I probably better answer. He knows my name. I probably better answer. And I said, I said, What? And I didn't hear anything after that, and I was so grateful because it was too awesome. I was not ready. I was not ready to handle something that awesome. So, so you know, what is happening is very common for him to be, be fearful. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. 
And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Okay, I'm going to read 16 and 17 and continue on, but, but we're going to go back to 16 and 17 in a second. And they will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, put your finger there because we'll come back to it. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this is for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I always think it's funny right here that he's like, how do I know that this is from God when an angel's standing right in front of him? It's like, hello, I'm an angel. <laughs> Anyways. Um, and behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day... When these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. And he kept, kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Okay, that was the story. I just wanted you to get that for the benefit of Christmas time. I want to go back to 16 and 17. 16 and 17 says this, and this is what's, what's important for the point I want to make. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as forerunner before him in the spirit and in power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This was the purpose of John's ministry. It started with the house. Started with the house of Zacharias and Elizabeth as they raised their son. And as they raised him, it was a fertile ground, a great ecosystem for what John was about to do to try to create another uh, ecosystem in, in other houses that were ready to receive Jesus. And it, and it perpetuated into every house. It says um, that the sons of Israel and the hearts of the fathers turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Those are houses. Those are households. John impacted a group of households so that Jesus could come and, and impact every house. Now, let me explain a little bit more about John's mission when he grew up, what he did. Um, according to Hebrew tradition, they had something um, that was called a mikvah. Mikvah was a ceremonial washing 
that people had to do if they ever became unclean. And you could become, become unclean. It wasn't necessarily a, a terrible, sinful thing. If you actually accidentally touched something that was dead, you became unclean and you couldn't participate in the activities of the temple. Um, if you had a, a relative that died and you had to bury them, that would make you unclean. And so to get to take care of that, they would take like a, it was very much like a, a baptism, is a bath called a mikvah so that they were able to participate in, um, in the temple services. Also, if you were wanting to become a, a Jew and you were outside of the Hebrew faith, you were required to have a mikvah so that you could become cleansed and come into that. So John is in this and he starts baptizing people and he's saying, okay, that's great that you guys want to be clean on the outside, but I've got to cultivate something that's going on the inside. I've got to start a new ecosystem um, in every house here. This is Matthew 3, uh, verses 7 through 12. But when, they saw, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from, the, from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with an unquenchable fire. John was interested in seeing people's hearts changed. And the reason was he was baptizing them because he wanted to see them clean on the inside, not just clean on the outside. He wanted to see them genuinely change so that when Jesus came, they had an ecosystem that was ready for the fire. They had an ecosystem that was ready for what Jesus was going to bring and the Holy Spirit uh, that, that he sent. So how did this all start? It actually all started with every house. He wanted every house. It, it, was, it was just individuals coming up, families coming up, one by one, every house, one at a time. John was softening every house to be ready for what Jesus was going to bring. Now what's this have to do with us? I think everything, because we want to see every house impacted by Jesus. But every house starts with your house. Okay? It has to start with you. Moves of God tend to start with households. You know, if you look back, Adam and Eve, that was a household. You, you continue, you see Abraham, um, Isaac, Jacob, all households. Noah, household. You continue and you look at the Passover, was happening with Moses. There's a household. John the Baptist was a household. Even the beginning of the story of Jesus, it's, it's, it's a house. It all starts in a house which is an ecosystem to, to be ready for what God is about to do, what he wants to bring in, to perpetuate. It's so much easier to continue momentum when you come into a place that's already boiling. And that has to start in your house. Too often we'll rely on outside ecosystems 
to kind of keep us going. That's what happens when we come to church and expect it, if we our, our pot to boil at church, then we go home, we're kind of fighting against it. What we want is we want to go, we want to be home and get that pot boiling at home so that when we come to church, it just keeps it going. It's a perpetual kind of thing. Imagine if you wanted to get the, your pot of water boiling on the stove by turning it on one day a week. It doesn't keep it boiling. We have a, a mindset uh, that we have this goal that, that you know, we're so game and sport oriented in our, in our society that we think that there's this such thing as winning and we're done. Like, okay, we're going to win the Super Bowl and we're finished. Well, the thing is, the way that the, the life, Christian life works, it isn't like, all right, we got the pot boiling, now we can stop. No, it's not about getting, getting the pot boiling. It's about keeping the pot boiling. It's about keeping it going. You have to have vision to keep this going. Too often we walk from experience to experience, hoping that the, the next time will be just the thing that we need, when what we need is to keep things per perpetuated. When I meet with couples, Angie and I will talk with them about we're not trying to live from disconnection to find occasional connection. We're trying to live connected and manage occasional disconnection as it may come from time to time. <clears throat> if your home is not a good ecosystem, work on that first. Work on that first. History is riddled with all kinds, I don't even need to mention names, but you can think of preachers and evangelists who did not take care of their home ecosystem well, but they had this amazing, great ministry. But their children just completely walked the other way. Or, the, or their, their spouses would leave them. If we work on that first, then what we have going is going to perpetuate. We're going to be able to keep that going e even more as we come into a, any kind of formal kind of ministry. And so um, let me give you a few points that I want to make of what a healthy house looks like. What is a healthy house? What's in a good ecosystem? This is not an all-inclusive list, but these are some things that I thought were important. First one, unconditional love. My love for you is not determined on how you treat me. If you do not love me well back, I do not decide I stop loving you. Otherwise, you're controlling me. I will be responsible to control myself, but I will expect you to control you as well. Okay? So I, I do not get to decide. You do not earn my honor. Honor is not res earned. Respect is not earned. Respect is part of who I am. I will not let you decide if I'm respectful. I will not let your attitude decide if I'm respectful. I will not let the way you tra treat me decide if I'm respectful. Because if I do, then you control me. And I'm not being powerful. I want to decide if I'm going to be a respectful person or not. If I'm going to be an honoring person. Now with that, there are times with unconditional love that I may need to set boundaries around that because I recognize you, you may come in and try to violate the health that I have going on. And now if I have that violated, I can't love you well back. Okay? And so, but, but keep in mind, a boundary is in place to keep the health inside. It's not to punish somebody by putting up a wall to keep them out. Okay? And so I will set up a boundary and I'll say, I will be happy to have a, a, a discussion with you as you can talk to me in a way that's respectful. I would love to do that. If you can't do that, then we'll just, I'll just have to love you from this, this point. But I am open. I'm not punishing you. Anytime you're ready to talk to respectful to me, I'm ready to receive you. I'm ready to come in. That is unconditional love. 
See that save? Yeah. <clears throat> Second thing is freedom with responsibility. You are free to make any mistake you are willing to clean up. Okay? That's a healthy environment. That's a healthy ecosystem. So what does that look like? I have a, a great example, I thought, of my two girls. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, they, had, they were on this kick. Now, we have enough rooms that everybody can have their own room in our house. We, we are blessed. But they were on this kick. They said, we want to share a room together. And I'm thinking, well, I know you love each other, but you don't always show it that well. I'm not sure if this is a good idea. So I'll tell you what. If in one month you can tell me that you still want a room together, then I'll help you do it, okay? So they're like, okay, okay, we, want, we really want to do this. We're going to do this. So they have their ups and downs for a month, but the end of the month comes, and they say, yeah, we still want to do it. I'm like, okay, here are the parameters around that, though. I will help the two of you shift toys into one room and beds into the other, but if at any point in the next year, if you decide you do not like rooming together, I will not help you move back. It, will, it is up to you to decide what you want to do. So um, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we definitely want to do it. We definitely want to do it. So we move everything. Everything gets set up really nice. They like it and everything. Everything's good. And, you know, for a few days it's great. I mean, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Paradise. And then something happens and I can't even remember. They probably don't. And they're, they're figuring out, we're not the same people. We don't think the same. One of us is clean and neat and tidy, and the other one doesn't care if there are any clothes laying on the floor. This is not good. And so um, they come to me, and they're like, uh, we want to move back. And I'm like, well, remember the agreement. You are welcome to move things back on your own. However, those beds are pretty heavy. I don't know how you're going to be able to do that. A year goes by. They're ready. They were ripe and ready to switch back in, in the same rooms. And they come to me like, we want to move back. And I'm like, awesome. Who gets the big room? And they're looking at me they're like, wait, you're not going to pick it for us? <laughs> no. So, so they're, they're like, well, it takes a few days. And, and finally, they decided they figured out the one who wanted to move out the most would get the smaller room. <laughs> and that's what it looks like being responsible is, is that you have freedom. I will let you have that freedom, but you are not free from responsibility. And so if your freedom causes you to need a consequence, that I will not remove that consequence from you. I will allow you to absorb that full consequence. And guess what? You get to learn. All right. Um, the third thing is the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. In a church... Many churches gather around agreement and they plant this agreement in the ground and they say, we come under this doctrine. That's why there's so many splits in churches, is we agree on this. The problem is that if you have any more than one person in a room, eventually you're going to find something that you disagree on. And that if we require agreement for us to value each other, for us to want to be together, then one of two things will have to happen is either one of us will have to pretend like we agree when we don't. I'll just hide that from you. And then you don't get to know me. You don't, you, there's this part of me that I have to hide from you. Or we decide we can't be together because we disagree. And so we must not, not be meant to be together. One of the things that we look at 
here and, and in this church is we're not necessarily, we're not so much, although we, we definitely, doctrine is important, don't misunderstand me here, but it's not so much about what we agree on is we recognize fathers and mothers and we all come together as family under that. Family isn't family because of what they agree on. Family is family because we decided that we love each other and we're staying together. <clears throat> We have to make our goal to understand each other more than to convince each other of what we're right. We have to make our goal, it has to be more important that we, we get to know each other, know who we are, and love each other than it is make sure that we agree on everything. Fourth thing is um, the expectation to be powerful and the willingness to confront others when they are not. What this looks like is if you don't like your situation, you ask the other person, what are you going to do about that? Okay? So I, I like to tell people this, and, and usually they don't like it, but I can't help it. It's true. If you have an issue with somebody, with, with a situation in your life, and you don't like it, you get three choices of that situation. Okay? One is do something about it. Work on it. What can you do to improve the situation? The second choice is, maybe you're not going to work on the situation, but you work on your attitude toward the situation. Okay? Maybe the only thing that you can really change is, is the way that you view it, your attitude. Or the third thing is, you continue to complain about it and live your life complaining. Those are basically the three choices that you get. Okay? And I will acknowledge, those are your choices. You, get, you have the freedom. I may not enjoy being around a complainer. I may need to set a boundary around that. I would much rather be with somebody who's fun, but that is a choice that you have. If you choose to complain, have at it, but tell me how that works out for you. The fifth thing is um, selflessly living for those around you while still admitting that you have needs. Okay? We are creating this life to live for other people. If you don't, you're basically living your life for yourself and love is not love. You're not loving anybody because love is not love until it costs you something. And if it costs you nothing, if you have nothing to lay down, then it's not love. On the other side of that though, if you never need anything, if you have no needs, then nobody else gets to love you. If they can't pour into you, if it's not something that, that you have a, a, a need in, in, in your life, if you don't have that, then they can never connect with you. And don't let people, you know, if you have a need, don't expect people to re read your mind about it. If there's a hurt there, if you're like, oh man, I wish you would just, you know, um, just tell me what a great job I did. I really need encouragement. If you're sitting there and you're getting angrier and angrier because nobody's telling you what a good job, they don't, because you're not letting them know what your needs are. I really, you know, it really helps me when I hear people tell me I did a good job. Did you think I did a good job or is there a critique you have? You know, letting people know what you need um, is, is very helpful to them. In church, we think everybody should be prophetic. Outside the church, they call it psychics. And know exactly what you need without you telling them. That's not the case in relationships. Relationships are give and take. We tell each other what's going on. And I, as I get to know people better, as I know what, what makes them tick, what they like, then I, can, I, I have an opportunity that I can connect with them, that I can actually go in and, and help meet that need. 
And then the sixth thing is, in a healthy, a healthy house, is fun. And you define that how you want to. One of the things Angie and I had to come to terms with in our marriage is we are not a dinner and a movie kind of couple. And, and our friends would be going out to dinner and a movie and, and we'd be thinking, oh, are we not a, are we not a healthy couple because we don't go dinner and a movie? It's just not how we're built. We would rather go on a hike. We'd rather go out and do something. And so we had to be okay with that and recognize that, that this is how we are. But this, we d you get to define fun for you. For Angie, math is a lot of fun. <clears throat> if, you can, um, if you can cultivate these things in your home, when you go out into the freezer of the world, your pot is much less likely to, boil, to, to stop boiling. Here's an, an easier way to kind of sum it up, though. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those are things that you want to cultivate. Those will help keep your pot boiling. And you can keep that boiling until either the freezer gets unplugged or they replace it with another, uh, with another stove. So when your pot goes from one place to another, it'll keep it boiling. Churches um, don't change the world until individual houses are touched, till every house is touched. One of the reasons, you know one of the reasons why um, I think that we're a healthy church here? It's not because we're so organized. It's because, you know, something Aaron and Nicole, and I think Greg and Midge even before that, something that they did coming in is they would practice it in, at home. They create an ecosystem at home so that what you bring in through the church, when you go home, it just perpetuates. It's just kind of continuing. You're, you're moving the pot from one burner to another. You can't come into church and expect that that, that stove, no matter how great it is, if you're not cultivating something at home, it, it just won't maintain so let me ask you this. What kind of ecosystem is in your house? What is, what is going on in your house? Does your house accelerate what we're doing in here? Does your house accelerate when, when you hear a great sermon or you hear great teaching? Does it just kind of accelerate what's happening there? Or do you just kind of limp along to the next week and hope to get your pot back on the burner and keep it going? That's the message of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is basically saying, get ready, prepare. Prepare for what God's going to do. He's coming and he's going to do something. And when he comes, will you be ready to perpetuate that? Or are you going to come against that because your, echoes, your ecosystem in you was not ready to handle that? When God shows up, well, let, let's be prepared. Now I know, I recognize that for some of you, you're thinking, I know I don't have a great, a great ecosystem in my home. What do I do? Well, I'll, let me just say, start with yourself. Okay, start with that. I want to quickly do a, a little sozo exercise and uh, to kind of help God show you where to start. Okay, so I want to invite you to close your eyes. If you're asleep, you're already there. Let me just pray for you and then I'm going to have you ask God some questions. Lord, I pray that you would just right now um, just cover us with your protection, with your angels, 
that uh, we would have no distractions from the enemy or for our wandering thoughts or otherwise. I pray that you would give everyone in here the courage to go anywhere that we need to go and the wisdom not go any further than that. We pray you're covering and blessing what we're doing right now in Jesus' name. I want you to ask God this question. You can ask him in your, in your mind. Um, I want you to ask him, Lord, are there any unhealthy ecosystems in my home? And he'll answer you with a feeling, a thought, an image, a memory. Many ways he could answer you. Just be open to what he might show you. Maybe even a, a, a scripture. And if he shows you that everything's healthy, praise God. That's wonderful. That doesn't mean you don't have any issues. It just means he's not addressing anything right now today. But if he shows you um, something that, that is not healthy, I want you to ask him the, this question. Ask him, Lord, what, is there something that I am getting out of this unhealthy ecosystem? What need is it meeting that could be met in a healthier way? Maybe it's covering up fear. Maybe it's giving you significance. Maybe it's just dealing with boredom. Now, ask him this too. Lord, what is the plan of the enemy for this unhealthy ecosystem? What is he trying to, what is the enemy trying to, to stop in my life by keeping this unhealthy ecosystem going? All right. I'm going to have you guys repent, and we're just going to all do this together, so I'm going to have you repeat it out loud. But I want to tell you, explain something about repentance. Repentance doesn't always mean that you've been a naughty, naughty boy, and there's something terrible that you did. Repentance just basically means that you're missing the mark, that you're not, you're not moving in a direction that's getting you closer to God. And that can be a huge turnaround, or that could be just a slight adjustment. Okay? But whatever it is that God is, is wanting to change, Repenting means, okay, I was going in the wrong direction, and I'm going to correct that direction and move toward God. All right? So repeat this after me. I repent for walking in a direction that was unhealthy and for any unhealthy ecosystem in my home. I don't need that anymore. And I don't want it anymore. So I give that over to you, Jesus. What do you have in exchange for me? Now just wait and see what he might give you. It might make sense. It might just be an image that you don't understand yet. But just see what he gives you. Because he always trades up. He always gives you something better than what you started with. And as he shows you that, I would encourage you to write it down, share it with somebody, remember what it is. But embrace that. That may be for many of you a tool to go home with and change your home. Change the ecosystem in your home. So that when you have things cleaned out and the fire falls, it's just going to perpetuate the fire. It's just going to keep things boiling. All right. The last thing that I want to I want to show you as a, as we wrap up here is Philippians four verse eight. 
This is some great advice that Paul gives. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't spend your time dwelling on things that aren't these things. Don't waste your time. If God points something out for you to correct, wonderful. Go after it. Change it. But don't spend your time trying to figure out, dig into the depths of the darkness, what's wrong with me, God. Focus on him, and if he reveals something, correct it. And then think on those things. Think on those things. All right, we're going to wrap up, um, and I'm just going to pray for you guys. So, Lord, um, I just, I thank you for this group. I thank you that it is your desire to prepare every house for what you're getting ready to do, for what you want to do. So that, that Lord, I pray that, that you would not only boil our pots today, but give us resources to keep our pots boiling as we go back home. We pray you're covering over this. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for victory today. In Jesus' name, amen.